Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's episode, we're going to talk about this surprise hit of last week, Black Myth, along with the announcements made during DC's Fandom. But first, a couple of updates from last week's story of uh, Apple versus Fortnite. So last week, Apple decided to exercise the nuclear option against Epic and totally remove all access to the App Store and all developer tools. Now, just a recap for what happened last week and the story that we spoke about or our main story of last week. Uh, Epic decided to uh, bypass Apple's payment system by putting their own payment system into Fortnite. Apple responded by removing Fortnite from the App Store, and then Epic responded uh, by making that 1980 Fortnite video along with uh, creating the free Fortnite campaign. Apple decided that removing the game was not punishment enough. So basically they uh, told Epic that they were going to remove all of their access and developer tools uh, for the App Store. Epic responded by asking a court for a temporary restraining order and a longer-term preliminary injunction that would stop Apple from totally removing their access to the App Store. Part of the document reads, quote, when Epic sued Apple to break its monopoly on app stores and in-app payments, Apple retaliated ferociously, told Epic that by August 28th, Apple will cut off Epic's access to all development tools necessary to create software for Apple's platforms, including for the Unreal Engine Epic offers to third-party developers, which Apple has never claimed violated any Apple policy, not content to simply... Not content simply to remove Fortnite from the App Store, Apple is attacking Epic's entire business in unrelated areas. Uh, That means that the court has until this Friday of this week to honor this restraining order or, you know, the ramifications. I mean, this can be huge. I mean, it sort of seems that Epic has sort of agreed to put themselves as a company in a position to kind of fight this in the long run now does that mean that they are content with keeping fortnite out of the app store during that entire time i'm not really sure you know apple did express that if fortnite were to remove that payment system they would add fortnite back into the app store but this particular action it just it just really seems like apple trying to make an example out of of epic that's really what it looks like to me um and then after uh the other thing that happened last week is that apple issued a formal response to epic's lawsuit and it they brought up this super weird analogy of saying quote if developers can avoid the digital checkout it is the same as if a customer leaves an apple retail store without paying for a shoplifted product apple does not get paid that's a uh, extremely weird and 100% totally wrong <laughs> analogy to make of this situation. I think it will probably make more sense for them to say, you know, this is Epic. You know, we own the building and Epic does not want to pay rent. That, that kind of feels like a much better way to put it. It's really weird that they're saying it's sort of like shoplifting. That kind of doesn't make any sense. Um, then they also claimed that um, not only did they, they, they claim, but uh, they were ready to release emails. And I think they actually did release the emails uh, where Tim Sweeney requested special privileges from Apple, including being able to process payments through their own system and the ability to provide their own app store on iOS. Now, once this came out, I saw a lot of people sort of criticizing Tim Sweeney and kind of calling him a hypocrite. Um because we know that at the belly of this lawsuit, Epic is saying that they do not want special privileges. But here is sort of this proof that Epic is asking for a, uh, uh, some sort of a, a, a special privilege. Um, but Tim Sweeney's intent was always the same, which is we want you to open a door for us, but not only just for us. 
And I think that was probably their intent when it came to trying to work out this deal in terms of having their own payment system and being allowed to have their own store. Once Apple uh, said, no, hell no, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. That's when Tim Sweeney emailed back and he basically told them exactly what he was going to do. He did tell them that, well, we are going to add our own payment system in the upcoming update. So he, he was actually very, very clear about that, which I was a little bit surprised by that he actually kind of gave them the plan before he actually even did it. And maybe that also uh, sort of that was one of the reasons why Apple, you know, banned them so quickly. It was probably a, a conversation that was had even before that update pulled through where they probably said, look, if this happens, we have to take that store down or have to take the, the game down as quickly as we can now it's my response to this story was very very disappointed in apple because basically what apple is doing is by by going by by exercising this nuclear option of kind of trying to nuke epic completely out of their store uh, a couple of things happen. Number one is you're no longer just affecting Epic Games anymore. You know, by targeting, by by telling Epic you no longer have access to developer tools in order to update the Unreal Engine that runs on mobile and a lot of iOS games uh, um, basically rely on. You are affecting all of the games that are currently on iOS, you're affecting all the games that are currently in development right now as we speak for mobile and iOS. And then you are causing a ton of damage to Epic's you know, future when it comes to Unreal Engine. You know, Epic is definitely one of their focuses on Unreal Engine is mobile. It's been their focus for a little, little while. That's exactly why they created, they started when they brought Unreal to mobile, they started by creating their own software. They created Infinity Blade, which looking back is kind of funny because that was this clear, very clear partnership between Epic and Apple. It launched exclusively for iOS. Infinity Blade was like um, Apple's flagship game to show off uh, that new chip that they were putting into their iPhone. I can't remember what which one it was, 7 or 8, around there, 6, 7, 8, I don't remember. But it was kind of the showcase title to show the world, hey, look at what our chip can do. And they use Infinity Blade as an example of it. So it's really interesting to see going back then and then seeing as to what's happening now, just to see the breakdown of that relationship. But the, 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 the reality of it is, is if... Epic is no longer able to update Unreal Engine or offer support in any way to mobile developers. Like I said, you're, you're affecting three kind of three different branches of that business. Games that are already on there, games that are being created right now to go on there. And then anybody that's currently negotiating a deal or, or currently thinking about building a game on the Unreal Engine, it's almost like at this point, if you're a developer, you kind of not 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 put a full stop on the game, but if by Friday this does not there's not even a restraining order put through, you begin to start getting concerned in terms of should I continue developing this game on Unreal Engine? Will I now be forced to move over into a different engine like Unity or something else? And that's kind of the the potential that this has to to really put a dent in Epic's business, uh, not just currently, but for for the future, because you're talking about developers having to, you know, have that conversation of why would I use this engine if the people that make the engine are long no longer able to support it. So that's the first thing that I took out of uh, out of this. I don't think it's right that Apple is now choosing. Uh, to 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 not go straight through with this lawsuit, but punish Epic for what they did because this is this is basically what it is. It's it's overt and unnecessary punishment against Epic. It's a retaliation against Epic for what they did for bringing up this lawsuit because what they're doing has absolutely nothing to do with Fortnite. You know, Epic violated Apple's App Store policies through Fortnite. 
You know, it's not like Epic found a back door into the app into the app store, and um, you know, for a few hours, people were able to install an Epic Game Store or something like that on, on the iPhone. That's kind of a, that's something I would believe would be an egregious, <laughs> you know, thing to do for a company, and I think would merit them saying, you know, what we we actually don't want anything to do with you as a partner. Um, but what they did by removing Fortnite was very clear. They have policies in place. Epic um, went against those policies. They broke those terms. And in doing so, that application was now come off of the App Store. That makes sense. For them to kind of take this extra step is the one that does not make sense at all. Um, because it's very obvious what they're trying to to do they're trying to set an example they're trying to put fear into other companies but in doing so all apple is doing is creating a stronger case <laughs> against themselves it's like creating a stronger case of 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 what the term antitrust it means you know because it's almost like the definition of it has to change what apple is trying to their defense is that you know we put a lot of time and money into building our app store and our ios platform and the other argument they're trying to say is that it's not like um developers and consumers do not have a choice and and they're always going to bring up android they're going to say well if they don't like paying that 30 percent tax if they don't like what we're doing with with ios then they can go ahead and just sell their game on android that's apple's defense but at the end of the day the a, a cell phone is such a it has become a necessary necessary piece of technology nowadays probably the most necessary piece of technology for us as human beings in the last thousand years you know it, it's a piece of technology that every you know i i mean think about the last human being you interacted with that did not have a cell phone cell phones have become an extension of us as 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 human beings and um i think uh who was it? I think it was Elon Musk who once brought that up as like, you know, human beings are sort of hybrid androids in a sense, if you think of cell phones being an extension of us. And, and it, it's kind of true, right? Like your cell phone is an extension of your memory because, you know, when w there's no way that our brains can remember every single thing, but you know, you reach into your pocket and now, you know, you can remember whose birthday it is and all these other things and you know, phone numbers and addresses and things like that. Things that our brains just cannot do on their own. So I think that's that's what makes this such an interesting case of antitrust. But I think for Apple doing what they did, I think that they're really, really starting to show just number one, how anti-competitive their platform is. And B, it's like they're showing the world, look at how much power we have. Um, and we, before I move on from this story, I just want to point out one thing. I've seen a lot of people uh, on Twitter and their social media, uh, not, you know, let me not use the term a lot, but a few people uh, will go under these, these, these tweets and these threads and they'll say, this is Epic's fault. And I think that's, the, the, the spin that Apple is trying to make, which is, well, none of these companies that run on Unreal Engine and all these games that use this engine, none of them will be in jeopardy right now if Epic didn't do what they did. It's, it's basically part of their campaign of fear. And it's weird to see so many citizens that don't have really, it's not like you have money invested in, in, into this type of fight, right? It's weird to see so many of them just uh, agree with with what Apple is doing. You know, they they're falling under that rhetoric of, well, if Epic didn't do this, if Epic didn't you know break that terms of service, then this would not have happened. And it's a classic, classic technique that we've seen exp em employed throughout history. 
where you know these large companies are um, striking fear in people, and to that effect, they start to side with the bigger company instead of seeing the big picture. Instead of seeing what this road can lead to if Apple is not put in check right now. Like this is this is something that uh, this is a lesson that history has taught us time and time and time again. When something is getting too big, at some point, someone or something has to step in front of that road and say, hold on a second, we're going to need you to slow down. We have to talk about what's happening right now. So it's really super just supremely weird to me that some people have this response of, well, Epic just should not have ever have done this. You know, it's just weird to see something like that because it's like you're admitting that, well, since it's like you're admitting that this company should be able to do whatever they want because they built this platform, they should have unlimited power. It's 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 very similar to people who defend Jeff Bezos, for example, that 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 say that, well, you know, he did this all himself. He built this so he should have all of this power and all of this money. And it's like, no, you're 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 not understanding <laughs> what's really happening. You need to really stop and 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 consider and think about the fact that these companies and these individuals have become so big that they do not care about you. <laughs> you're you're this the, the tiniest, smallest molecule in their their world. So it's just weird to see you fighting for the trillion dollar company. That doesn't really make sense to me. And then finally to cap this off, Microsoft actually stepped forward and they um filed a declaration in support of what uh, Epic is doing. They said, quote, for game creators in the later stages of development, utilizing Unreal Engine and targeting the iOS and or macOS platform, Unreal Engine's sudden loss of support for iOS and macOS would create significant costs and difficult decisions. The creator would have significant sunk costs and lost time using Unreal Engine for game creation and would have to choose between A, starting development all over with a new engine, abandoning the iOS and macOS platforms, or ceasing development entirely, um, which is something that I think would prob- probably be the choice of a lot of game developers right now would probably just be like, All right, I guess this game is just not coming to cell phones then. I guess it's going to Android, PC, and maybe some of these other developers. I think they would side with Epic more than they would side with uh, with iOS, especially if it's if it's something ambitious that they're um, that they're trying to do. So um, yeah, we'll just have to to wait and see exactly what's going to happen with all of that. Uh, now let's move on to Black Myth Wukong. So out of Absolutely nowhere last week, China developer Game Science Studio released a 13-minute video for their upcoming project, Black Myth Wukong. And, um, you know, like I said, this, this kind of just came out of nowhere. It, just, it, it sort of just dominated the conversation within video gaming for a minimum of 24 hours. I feel like it stretched up to 48 hours where we all as gamers were talking, every, everyone's kind of talking about this game. Um, because A, it, like I said, just completely came out of nowhere. You know, the trailer just dropped and I guess it started growing on, uh, China social media platform, Billy Billy. And then it, it sort of started growing here on the West and in different parts of the world. And, um, you know, once you see the trailer, you realize that, you know, it's one of those few moments where it's like, yeah, all this attention is absolutely merited within a day of being uploaded the gameplay video saw 10 million views on chinese side billy billy uh and nearly 2 million on youtube and uh you know once i saw it without a doubt it's one of the best reveals of a game i have ever seen in my life you know it it just it gets straight to the point. It's really all gameplay and it escalates from beginning to end. It just sort of wows you throughout the entire experience. And uh, props goes to that team that put together that gameplay demonstration in terms of uh, of pacing. You know, it really wasn't overtly heavy on information. It really was 
put out there, I, I feel the, the vision of that video was just check out this gameplay and look at some of these cool things that we're we're doing. And, and there were just these really, really cool moments, you know, like when he was spinning the staff and and uh, deflecting the arrows. That first sort of mini boss fight where, you know, he defeated the boss and then that flaming staff just kind of went in the air and it struck into the ground. All these small little details that they were putting into it in terms of the animation, that that boss fight at the end, you know, the, the final montage that basically said, oh, the, you know, I hope you didn't think that this entire game was just going to take place in this one jungle. And then they show like this decrepit desert area and a giant you know, was like a scorpion boss or something like that. Um, they showed, the, you know, the snow-capped mountains. All of a sudden, now you're in the clouds and fighting like 2,000 warriors at the same time. Like, the variety that was shown was just mind-blowing. And according to Game Science, they confirmed that that was, you know, gameplay, that demo is playable in its current state. Um, but it is from a pre-alpha build of the game they're targeting next gen consoles and pc they confirmed this being built on unreal engine 4 now what's even more incredible is when you find out that the the team behind this game their previous projects all were cell phone games you know they, they, they're based in china and you know the mobile market there is really huge the game started with only uh 13 employees they now have 30 and i think it was the director or the founder of the studio had confirmed that one of the reasons why they wanted to release gameplay now was as sort of a recruitment process to try to get more and more people to apply to work and continue work on the game. They also did confirm that the game is probably still two years from release, but they wanted to show this off just to get kind of the buzz started and I think mainly to start getting uh, gauging interest in it. And... Um, you know, a couple of things to note is this is from China. There is not a a publisher attached. So unfortunately, this is something that for us here in the West, this is a game one hundred percent. There's just zero doubt in my mind in, in my mind that this game will find its way here to the West, but it probably won't be until like 2024 or something like that because these developers now are going to have to find a publisher and i mean you look at that gameplay and i mean look if if, if i'm a publisher especially a big one like you know ea or ubisoft or something like that you know the first thing i'm saying is get, get me the phone number like get me in contact with this with this team and i guarantee you there's going to be a bidding war on this game i mean it it just looks incredible looks phenomenal and um a lot of people were saying that it sort of reminded me of dark souls which i it kind of didn't remind me of dark souls at at all i felt like it didn't have that same weight that a dark souls game has it just remind it actually reminded you know god of war they did confirm that was one of their influences but um the combat itself, I thought, was just really, really just super, super smooth. Just everything about that game from top to bottom just looked very, very interesting. It looked very, very engrossing. Um, you know, playing on the myth of, of, of the Monkey King, which is a very, very old tale from China that originated in China. So now everything about this game was, was just mind-blowing. And it is one of those things that it's fortunate to see but then unfortunate because you know that yeah we're probably not going to see this game again for a few years and then even then will we here in the west be able to uh to play it but i think overall what was really important to me to see from that game is is it shows how much we're missing in video games all of these stories that um can be told and can only be told um from from the perspectives of of, of different cultures and developers from different countries and uh, you know we saw it with nintendo last week they released raji which was a game that was based on 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 uh in indian mythology for example so you know, you see both of these games and you realize like, man, this this is this is what we we need. Like, 
I think that was something that drew me towards Ghost of Tsushima was it, it told a story that we don't traditionally hear about here in the United States of America. And yes, that was made by a Western developer, but there's also, I feel like <clears throat> there needs to be, I'm hoping for more co collaboration with developers from, from the, around the world with Western publishers and sort of understanding that, yeah, we need to let the developer give them the room to build these stories and, and really make these compelling experiences and for us to kind of just open up the wallet, so to speak. So that's sort of what I got from this Black Myth game is I sort of hope it opens um, gamers here in the West to be a little bit more open-minded with experiences and video games that are coming from around the world. We see what Sony has done with PlayStation in the, I think it's called the China Hero, the Project Hero or China Hero Project where they're trying to um, help publish a lot of games made by Chinese developers. And obviously, you know, we're in this timeline right now in the United States of America where, you know, China is sort of seen as the enemy when it comes to technology. And we're hearing about what's happening with TikTok, this, that, and the third. So it, it kind of unfortunately puts a lot of these Chinese developers at a, at a bit of a disadvantage, I feel, right from the get-go when they're trying to create these video games and these experiences. So I love to see this game and love to see what PlayStation is doing uh, in order to help change that narrative and, and make people understand that, you know, not every single human being that exists in China is just this e absolutely evil entity that just wants to steal your data and all this other crap that we've been hearing from Tencent and all these other companies. So, you know, I think that's definitely one of the positives of, of uh, seeing this game. Now, a big story of the week is DC Fandom and the two games that we saw during that event. But before we go into that, there was a story that broke last week about Rocksteady Games. Last week, The Guardian reported that several female staff members of Rocksteady Studios sent a letter to management back in 2018 complaining about sexual harassment. The letter was signed by 10 of the 16 women on staff at the time, which first and foremost, Jesus, only 16 women working in that entire studio that is well over, has to be well over 100 employees in that in that uh, building. That's pretty crazy. Issues brought up included transphobic slurs, derogatory and sexually explicit remarks about women, and sexual harassment included unwanted advances, leering at parts of a woman's body, and inappropriate comments in the office. And the moment that this news broke, I kind of said to myself, here, it, here we go again when, when it comes to uh, our industry. You know, I, I kind of said to myself, here's another unfortunate story. But it looks like the ending of the story is a lot more positive than I feel like it's being portrayed as in, in, in a few media outlets that I was looking at this story at. Rocksteady responded to the allegations by saying, quote, all former complaint all formal complaints were thoroughly investigated, addressed appropriately, and a number of serious measures were taken in response to the issues that surfaced, including discipline for termination of staff. Since then we have introduced new ways of ensuring we are making good on our commitment to inclusion, such as asking all female staff to provide feedback about the portrayal and behavior of characters in the games we make. We are dedicated to listening and improving and have employed specialists to help further enhance equity and representation at Rocksteady. Uh, since that point in time, several women working currently at Rocksteady have come forward to defend the company. Rocksteady published a uh, what they claim was an unsolicited letter that was written by women uh, that are currently employed at Rocksteady, or excuse me, that was put together by uh, a portion of the women that signed the original letter. So they drafted and submitted, they publicly submitted a new letter uh, in support of everything that Rocksteady did in response to that letter that they agreed to sign back in 2018. There are also some women that were coming forward to defend the company on Twitter, uh, such as Haley Joan, a senior UI and UX designer. Uh, senior QA tester Holly Gordon says, quote, Rocksteady is a safe place to work. I would not be working here years later if this was not the case. Uh, Haley Jones said, Rocksteady continues to make the studio a safe space for everyone, and I'm proud to say I work there. 
Um, she did reiterate that action was initially taken two years ago, just not not just now when the article was published. Um, senior technical animator Anastasia Bakura says, quote, I am really proud to be working for a company that always supports women, minorities, and LGBT plus communities. Rocksteady is an amazing place to work. And I think also in Rocksteady's recent response, they said that they were working with a third party company in order to either open a communication channel or interview current female employees to see if there are any other uh, concerns that they as a company are not currently aware of. So, you know, this, this seems like one of those few stories where, um, you know, you know, an internal document, meaning that 2018 letter was made public. Um, but at the same time, it seems that rock did do the right thing and they, they did respond to it. I'm sure that any female in there would probably not attest that it's a perfect environment, but it looks like Rocksteady um, took it very, very seriously. And uh, like I said, if they didn't, we really wouldn't be hearing from current employees. They'll probably just stay quiet or probably, yeah, actually, I don't think they would speak out. They'll probably stay quiet or they would anonymously reach out to outlets and let them know, no, you know, none of this stuff has actually changed. So it's very good to see that going into their announcement at DC Fandom because it sort of sort of felt like that's what was done. I mean, the timing was just too convenient. You know, Rocksteady releases a teaser for their Suicide Squad game and then this letter is released. So maybe there was one of the women that signed the letter that was not happy was still not happy with the company and decided to publicize it. Um, but it's good to see that Rocksteady did the right thing and they were able to sort of get the messaging under control ahead of their announcement. Uh, and that brings us to our main story, which is DC fandom. This happened last Saturday. Um, pretty much, uh, I think it was like a straight, I don't think it was 12 hours, but it was like eight, nine hours or so of different panels just completely focused on dc you know when they first announced this event i was a little concerned because i said to myself you know will they be able to handle the traffic how will they be able to do this but everything kind of worked smoothly i i personally didn't have any hiccups or issues with seeing it i look at it as like dc kind of really did their best when it comes to creating a virtual event and going through what we've gone through as a country this entire year this is probably one of the more positive examples of how to do a completely virtual event right and correctly like at points in time it was a little cheesy and weird to see people standing in what was obvious a, a giant green screen room um but i thought the panels were were cool i thought they were really nice it was great to see some of the announcements that they made you know, Batman movie looks look, looks great. Um, but let's talk about the game. So the first announcement that they made, which I think was was like the second uh, a panel for the whole show. I think it followed the Wonder Woman um, film panel uh, was Gotham Knights, which is coming 2021 to PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and PC. You know, when they first showed the trailer and gameplay, I think thought that this was going to be next generation only but i was wrong it actually is current coming to current generation consoles it's very obvious that what we saw though that doesn't look like something that will be able to run on current consoles it looked really really uh effect heavy especially when they showed the environment and the sky and things like that i was like it doesn't this does this looks like something that's that it looked like the demo was built um on pc um now, WD Montreal has uh, been teasing this game for a year. When, before they made this announcement, I think a week ago, I was thinking in my mind, I think it's been a year since they started teasing this. I, I, I did the research, and I was 100% right. They started teasing this game in September of 2019. Um, and I was initially very annoyed <laughs> That early last week, they started again with the teasers because I said to myself, I was like, look, 
like what's the point it was like they had like this redacted website and like all these cryptic little teasers and things like that and it's weird because you look at the announcement you realize that none of those teasers really even put any weight at all into the announcements you know they were hinting a lot at the court of owls but even in the initial trailer that they show for this game, the Court of Owls to me looked like an afterthought. The Court of Owls didn't really, you know, feel like it was, you know, the main antagonist of everything that was happening, you know, especially because in the gameplay they focused on uh, Mr. Freeze. But, um, you know, uh, they began Teaser's game in September, and I think it's been a few months. Uh, probably even like six, seven months since we found out the name of this game. So it was confirmed that it was Gotham Knights. And we, uh, the other important piece that leaked was that you'll be able to play as the quote-unquote Bat Family. And uh, that was confirmed also. So it's a one-through-two-player co-op story experience where you can choose between Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing, or Red Hood. Uh, you can play. You can choose to, to to play the entire game single player, completely by yourself, um, or you can have a a second player join in. Um, it is not tied to the Arkhamverse, which I thought was extremely. Uh, I thought was actually a good idea. I know that a lot of people, for some people, some reason, people looked at it and they thought it was tied to the Arkhamverse, but. That thought never really crossed my mind. The only thing that felt Arkham about the game was the city itself, you know. Um, it's obvious that the game has a lot of RPG inspirations, and uh, they hinted at being able to upgrade your hero of choice. So, uh, a few things. So, uh, this was an announcement that I knew what the game was supposed to be because it leaked. But when a trailer first played, I, I kind of was not happy with what I was seeing. And, and my, I, I feel like my emotions really went through a couple things. Number one was disappointment, you know, disappointment at not being able to play as Batman. Honestly, that, that that's disappointing to me. I really, really want another Batman game. I like most gamers do not believe that Bruce Wayne is actually dead. I mean, I think it's natural to go into this thinking that way that, you know, maybe he was kidnapped by the Court of Owls and, you know, they use his death as part of their plan or something like that, right? Um, I I initially was disappointed in it, but I also do understand that in order to tell the story that they want to tell, in order to create the game that they wanted to create, which was a co-op experience, I feel like Batman has to not be there. And I, I, I sort of looked at it as if Batman was one of the four people that you could pick, I do not see myself personally playing as anyone else. And I feel like then it would be a Batman story. So I kind of agree with the assessment in terms of this is the type of game you want to make. I understand why Batman wouldn't be um, at the forefront of it. Um, I had a lot of mixed emotions looking at this game. First of all, I was happy that they showed gameplay, you know, um, you know, for a game that's coming out in 2021, I think it was very, very important. It's not something that I expected to see, but it was very, very welcome. It's obvious that it is an alpha, you know, you could tell like the game was having, you know, major frame rate issues to keep up in the demo that they showed. Um, but I thought it was really, really good to get a feel for the game. And I think I think the one good job that it did to get across was if you like the Arkham games, you know, this is going to look and feel very, very familiar to it to you because that's exactly what it was when I looked at it. And then part of the gameplay showed a floating number 10 on an enemy. And that completely turned me off. Um, I'm not a fan of games that feel the need to overtly um, use RPG elements in their games. I hate, I absolutely dreaded and hated it when I saw that 10. Because, it. I mean, there's only one obvious answer when you saw that 10. I was like, they're showing me that this 
enemy is level 10. I was like, I, I don't like that. And then when she went to attack him and then numbers started flying out, I was like, I, I don't like this. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a big fan of this. Um because it's like, you know, RPGs have their 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 place. They have their time, they have their place. But I feel like for this type of game, I don't think it works really well. They did confirm that enemies scale based upon your um power level. And if you face the same enemy, they brought up um Mr. Freeze is an example. If you face him at a at a higher level, he does have different attacks and different techniques and things like that. But when they were showing them uh Batgirl and, and Robin fighting Mr. Freeze, I was just like, I, I hate this so much. You know, you see the numbers flying out. I just felt like it doesn't really fit with this type of game. And it concerns me a bit because it makes me wonder about the story in terms of trying to put these types of elements into it. Now, that to me, out of everything, is it's what's most disappointing about this game. And not to say that I'm so disappointed that I'm like, oh man, I, I don't even want to see this anymore. Just disappointed in the terms of you know, if if you're, you know, I, I kept thinking about that interaction at the end with Mr. Freeze, uh, between Mr. Freeze and Batgirl. And I thought a few things in my head was, number one, this particular scene that we're seeing, this cut scene, where the person that I'm playing is now confronting Mr. Freeze, the the combinations are almost endless in terms of how this scene should play out. That means that they had to create that scene four different times, you know, with, uh, because it could be Batgirl, Robin, Nightwing, or Red Hood putting that device into that weather machine and then having that dialogue with Mr. Freeze. The other thing that it means is that if you're playing a co-op experience, it doesn't matter who the other person is. That means that we, when they create these cinematics, they're, this is just a theory, they're putting that second player into the physical space. But I can't imagine that the developers are putting in that much time where we're going to hear extra dialogue. So if Batgirl is there with Robin... I don't think we're ever going to hear Robin speak because then that means that dialogue has to be recorded twice for Robin. If you're playing as the primary first player, number one, and we have to also record dialogue for Robin if he's player two. But then how does the how's the dialogue different based upon if Red Hood is player two versus Red Hood? You know, it's, it's all these different things that you have to put in mind. And because of that, I can't imagine a story or a narrative being able to come across as very, very strong or being able to give any of these characters a proper arc. Because according to what WB Montreal is saying is that I can go through the story with whoever I choose, which means that if I'm a huge fan of Red Hood or if I'm a huge Nightwing fan, I'm going to play with Nightwing from beginning to complete end even if i bring someone else into my game to play with me the story is still going to revolve around nightwing and that to me is what's scary is that we've always seen these batman games you know everyone likes to, to call the arkham games the arkham trilogy because we think of asylum city and and night and sometimes we forget about origins but origins was the game that wb montreal worked on before they that was the last game they released before this upcoming gotham knights and the one thing that we've all looked at arkham arkham excuse me and we've loved was just the narrative and and, and the story and being able to see these changes uh, created, you know, especially if we're thinking about Arkham City between Batman and Joker and how much Batman changed from the very beginning of being captured as Bruce Wayne and then all the way to the end um, as Batman because of everything that happened between him and the Joker. What I'm thinking of as I'm looking at this game is I'm not going to get that anymore. Now the narrative has to be really driven by the world, the narrative has to be really driven by the enemies, by the court of owls, by the different arcs of 
the rogues gallery because I can't imagine a company being able to create proper arcs for the characters if you're telling me that I can play this game and within with any combination. And from what I've been told right now, technically I could play the entire game as Batgirl and never ever, you know, have Robin, Nightwing, and Red Hood with me outside of maybe initial cutscenes and things like so like I said, it's it's a little bit confusing right now because I don't think they did a good job of trying to make fans such as myself feel comfortable by the choices that they made in terms of um, the fact that you can play this game with, you know, multiple combinations. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how else to respond to it other than that. And then, at the end of Fandom, we saw um, Suicide Squad kill the Justice League. And uh, we only got a CG trailer. And at the end of the CG trailer, when it showed 2022, the first thing I did was I screamed at my monitor, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> I said to myself, why am I seeing this game in the year 2020? No one on the face of this earth will convince me otherwise. There is literally no reason why we should even be aware of this game's existence at this point. Because, and, and I can prove it right now, if that trailer never existed and I announced the game in 2021, nothing is going to change. If this game was announced in 2021, if we finally see gameplay, which we probably will not see until June 2021 at whatever next year's E3 is supposed to be, right? When people see gameplay, they're not going to go, wow, I'm so happy we knew about this game a year ago and we got that CG trailer. Like, no. So a few things. Number one, people were trying to argue that the trailer was not CG. That trailer was CG. Now, I think it was created and concocted as um, what we sometimes call in the industry a target trailer, meaning that this is a target for the art style that we're going for. <clears throat> um, and that's how it came across. But that was CG. There was zero gameplay. Like there were gameplay mechanics. Like you can look at Deadshot you know, using the jetpack, for example, and, uh, you know, the speed and the movement of Captain Boomerang, for example, as bleeding into gameplay elements, but there was zero gameplay in that trailer. And, uh, you know, as I was watching it, a few things happened. Number one, I loved the art style. Number two, I loved the dialogue. I loved the tone that they sent. It's, it's, it's exactly the tone you would want from a Suicide Squad game. I loved the four initial uh, members that they picked. I think it was, it's the perfect combination. I think King Shark 100% had to be there. Um, and I think they took, um, like I said, I think they built the best roster to initially ship the game with. They confirmed that it's one through four player co-op. But the interesting thing is that the team is filled in by the AI. So you're never playing the game with just one member of the Suicide Squad. You're always playing with all four members. And even if you're playing by yourself, you can switch between players. Now, that might mean also that if you're playing with two players, maybe you can also switch sort of. I, I think about for whatever reason, I'm thinking of like the Lego games when you're playing with two players, you can still sort of switch between Legos or whatever. Um it's set in Metropolis, which I love. We haven't seen a video game version of Metropolis for a long time so i think that was a great decision um it looks like brainiac is the villain uh and then the weirdest part about this which makes no sense is that uh sefton hills director of the game and directed the the arkham trilogy confirmed that it's set in the arkham games universe makes absolutely zero sense um zero reason why that should be uh the fact um, it obviously would make way more sense for Gotham Knights to exist in the Arkhamverse. Um, but in my opinion, I think both of these games should not have been set, set in the Arkhamverse. Look, we had a great trilogy uh, for Arkham. I think uh, Arkham Knight did a great job of ending that, that three-game arc. 
let it die. <laughs> let that universe be buried in the past where it belongs. There's no reason why it should be revisited at any point in time or for any reason for example if gotham knights went off of arkham knights then we would have to have a different batgirl nightwing and robin and even red hood would have to be influenced by what happened in gotham knight it just it just gets sloppy it gets messy it's better to do something from scratch which is what they decided to do which was the right decision in arkham city deadshot isn't arkham city and he's an old white guy but in the Suicide Squad game, he's obviously black. So how can it be set in the same unit? It just it just doesn't make sense to me. And once again, there's just no reason at all to tie it in. But the main thing about Suicide Squad and 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 talking about it with Gotham Knights, I, I took a few things away from it. Number one, I couldn't get over the disappointment that this game was even showed. Um the fact that it was only shown in CG and there was zero gameplay means that we're not ready to see gameplay. What we saw from Gotham Knights was shipping in 2021 and we saw uh, alpha gameplay. So it, it goes to show how far away Suicide Squad really is. We're probably not going to get this game until the end of 2022. And that's if it doesn't slip and, and doesn't hit early 2023, which it kind of seems that the Suicide Squad game has been through a lot of development issues. For those that don't remember, WB Montreal was actually the team that was working on Suicide Squad. The, the, the game was supposed to ship with the absolutely awful Suicide Squad movie that came out a couple of years ago. Did not get ready in time. WB uh, Games did not like what they saw. They took Suicide Squad away from WB Montreal. Somehow Rocksteady was the one that picked it up and continued development. And then WB Montreal started with Gotham Knights. Something absolutely went wrong at WB interactive and i'm sure there's a story there to tell because it doesn't make any sense that rocksteady is working on this multiplayer game uh set in the arkhamverse but then the gotham knights which is the batman story is not it, it's it, something obviously went wrong over there at 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 at, at wb so obviously there has been a lot of development issues when it comes to this game but there's no reason why we should have seen this game. It's obviously too early for them to talk about. They didn't really go into details in terms of the story, in terms of, once again, they made the, the same mistake that Gotham Knights made, which was not kind of uh, reassuring us that, yes, you can play with multiple, multiple people, but we want to reiterate that we are focused on narrative. We are focused on story. I trust Rocksteady a lot more than I trust WB Montreal with that because of their work with the Arkham Trilogy. And the one thing that a lot of people are missing, though, about this is that Suicide Squad is actually set up to have a stronger narrative than Gotham Knights for the simple fact that they confirmed that you have access to all four players at the same time. And even if you're playing with single player, the rest of the squad is filled in by bots, which means that you have all four members with you throughout the entire story. You can't say the same with Gotham Knights. You can, you can start uh the be you know the beginning of the narrative with Batgirl and Robin and all of a sudden switch over to Nightwing and Red Hood and then your friend leaves so now you're only playing as Robin but then they're back so now you want to try Red Hood and 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 they're gonna play as Batgirl so it's obviously gonna screw up with the narrative which is very very different from Suicide Squad where you do have access to all four players throughout every excuse me all four members throughout every single mission which means that Rocksteady is able to set up a proper narrative arc for each four of the members. We're going to be able to see interactions between all four of the members throughout various times, even when you're doing side missions, maybe even when you're... Um, because they did confirm this is an open world, when you're nav navigating around the world, we'll be able to get interactions between different members, you know, king shark you know whatever that may be right and i think that's something that they really showed in that teaser trailer that they showed which was kind of that relationship between the four of them and how strong that bond has been you know with them making fun of of deadshot always saying you know oh i never miss you never stop saying that things like that um so 
I'm more confident, actually, with Rocksteady and Suicide Squad in their narrative than what WB is doing with Gotham Knights because of the way that the game is set up. But there's, once again, I just can't get over the fact that we're seeing this game right now. There was literally no reason. Rocksteady for years now has been having the same message. We're working on something. We're working hard. We're not ready to show it. That's what they did. Uh, I think even this year they reiterated we're not going to be at E3. I think last year they said the same thing. And I look at it as understanding. Like, I get it. Okay, you guys are not ready to show the, the game off. Next year, we're getting a Suicide Squad film, one that actually looks really good <laughs> compared to the last one. Why not start the campaign around the time that the next movie comes out? We know that the next movie is slated for August 2021. So why not show, you know, uh, a, a, a trailer in June, show a little bit of gameplay and, and then, uh, you know, tell people like, hey, Suicide Squad playing in theaters uh before the film starts you're gonna get a sneak peek a brand new trailer for the suicide squad game like it, it would just make way more sense to have both of them kind of working with each other hey buy a ticket to the suicide squad film um you'll get a code for a alternate costume for deadshot or something like that it just would would have made much more sense because we would have been able to see the game and the fact that this game is not coming out for two years companies need to stop doing this they need to stop talking about and showing games so early it doesn't make any sense stop it <laughs> so those were the takeaways that I took from from those two games i think overall it's actually very interesting that the next three comic book games that we know about three of the four, I guess, if you count the Spider-Man Miles Morales game, are multiplayer, kind of multiplayer first experiences, or they're really, really showing the multiplayer more than anything. You know, obviously we have Marvel's Avengers, we have Gotham Knights, we have Suicide Squad. It sort of makes me a little bit afraid, but at the same time, it, it's very clear that these other two DC games are taking a very different approach from Marvel's Avengers. Like, yeah, Marvel's Avengers has this story about like a day and things like that. But when you look at the missions and, you know, the fact that it's not open world, like these other two games, I feel like they're not really focusing on the narrative as much as these other two games are. Now, a lot of people were talking about Gotham Knights becoming like a, this games as a service. I kind of don't, see that being their focus more than anything i could see them supporting the game through like uh post-launch downloadable content and maybe adding more missions and things like that but i don't see them going as far as avengers did you know avengers has like you know emotes and all these things that you can purchase you know microtransactions and things like that i think suicide squad is actually a little bit more set up to work hand in hand a little bit better a little bit like avengers in terms of, I do kind of hope that Rocksteady um, does post-launch DLC because you look at the Suicide Squad roster, that's a, that's a, a huge bench. You know, like when, when James Gunn was showing off all the heroes that are coming to the new film, there was a bunch of people. I was like, I don't even know who these people are at all. You know, like I knew a few like Polka Dot Man, but there was a lot of them. I was like, I'm, I'm not even sure who this person is. So you realize that, you know, for the Suicide Squad game, you can bring in Rick Flagg, you can bring in, uh, you know, uh, King Croc and Diablo and all these other, you know, uh, members of Suicide Squad. Hell, they could even bring Joker into the game. I, I think would be really interesting to do post-launch characters and then do you know, post-launch missions and things like that. But obviously it will be weird to say you can play through the story with any of those extra characters that they release because then the story just kind of collapses if you do that. But I would be okay with them doing extra missions and, you know, maybe horde type of, of, of gameplay and stuff like that um, with all of these different uh, heroes that they're, that they're um, uh, putting through. So... You know, look, I'm, I'm still ex excited for both of these games. Gotham Knights, I still definitely would like to hear a little bit more uh, about it in terms of, once again, addressing those concerns about how is this narrative going to play out if you can encounter these missions and these villains and the Court of Owls or what have you with all these different um, 
you know, heroes, for example. Um, and then when it comes to Suicide Squad, it's just honestly like when I when I saw that trailer, I was like, I, I I'm I'm in. Like I definitely want to play this. I love the tone that they set. And I could see what they're going for. You know, a lot of people, you know, compared it to Sunset Overdrive, kind of like these mute, but yet washed out bright colors. Um, and I, I, I did kind of agree with that assessment. I was like, yeah, you know, it kind of does remind me of, of Sunset Overdrive. Um, and it is a game that I say like, man, I really want to play this, but without a doubt in my mind, I wish I never knew about this game. I wish I never saw it because it was so disappointing to see that we will not get this game until 2022 and looking at the development cycle of the game and how troubled has been up to this point, it just kind of makes you feel not very confident that we'll see this game a early 2022 or that it won't slip until early 2023, for example. So as much as I loved what I saw, I genuinely, genuinely really wish that I never, <laughs> that I never, ever saw it. How releases for the week? We have August 26th, The Suicide of Rachel Foster, PS4, Xbox One, Moon coming to Switch August 27th, along with Tell Me Why on PC, Xbox One, Game Pass, uh, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition for PS4 and Switch, Surgeon Simulator 2 for PC. August 28th, we have Wasteland 3 for PC, PS4, Xbox One, also on Game Pass. Side note, Game Pass has been absolutely like killing it <laughs> this month. I mean, like, you know, you see these two new games, Wasteland 3, tell me why. They added Battletoads, Spirit Fair is another day one Game Pass game. So this month has been uh, really generous if you're a Game Pass member. Uh, also, August 28th, we have Project Cars 3, PC, PS4, and Xbox One. And ending it off, Madden NFL 21 for PC, PS4, and Xbox One. Time to wrap up the stories we didn't have time to get to. Crisis Remaster got a new release date coming PS4, Xbox One, and PC on September 18th. Um, I, I said this before on the show. I, I just have absolutely no interest in playing Crisis again. I feel like it's a game that um, did not stand the test of time, and I kind of... I, I kind of don't see this game doing very well personally. And it's just not a game that's really on my radar, but it does come out September 18th for those that are interested. Listings for a Prince of Persia remake popped up online. And I initially said, well, this can't be real. But then its existence was confirmed and corroborated by Jason Schreier. So it looks like this is something that is very, very real. We do know that Ubisoft is having another one of their ubi forward events next month so that's probably where we might see this being announced and i think this is the proper path to take for prince of persia we haven't seen a game in a while i think remaking the first one it's absolutely the way to go oculus announced that starting on october new users will need a facebook account to log in and by 2023 every oculus user will need a facebook account in order to use the headset uh so as soon as i saw this i was like this is such a stupid idea and i was very very happy to see the entire internet almost unanimously agree and 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 saying f you to oculus and a bunch of people were posting under that tweet like, thank you, you made my decision. I'm definitely going to a Valve or I'm, I'm definitely buying an HTC Vive now. So you can, set, you can see just how toxic the Facebook brand has become uh, in the last year or two, but especially in this year. And I was very, very happy to see more and more and more. And, and once you think about video games and you think about VR, you're really looking at that you know 16 to 33 34 that very young demographic that's really into this technology those are the people that are going to be driving your sales and those are the people that are most vocal about you know how dangerous facebook is and most vocal about there's no way i'm gonna create a facebook account i'm deleting my facebook account or have already deleted it and there's definitely no way i'm going to create another facebook account just to play vr especially since there's other options on the market so it's really good to see that and definitely 100 this will affect them going forward so i'm a little interested to see if they're going to stick to that uh or if, if they're going to change that up and uh, make it a choice 
uh, the way that it absolutely should be. Um, before we go, shout out to GDQ Games Done Quick. Summer Games Done Quick raised over $2.3 million last week for Doctors Without Borders. There's definitely still a couple of runs I want to uh, catch up to. I definitely suggest watching the, the run to Super Liminal. I thought it was a really good run. And th- the highlight for me so far from last week was Baba Is You. 100%. Please see the, the run for Baba is You. It's an absolutely mind-melting experience to see that speed run for Baba is You. So definitely please check that out if you're interested in speed runs. It's definitely one of the best. Uh, definitely the best I've seen so far last week. I'm still catching up to a couple. But uh, definitely one of the best runs I've ever seen in the last few years. Uh, and that's our show for the week. Thank you so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you all next week.